There's an old movie um, I saw one time, and you probably know how it is. You see a movie, and there's sometimes there's a good line in a movie, and you remember it. I don't actually recommend the movie. Some of you might recognize it. There's an angel in the form of a man, and he appears to a woman, and um, he tells the woman that he's a messenger from God. And the woman says, I don't believe in God. <laughs> Any of you know this movie? Um, you do. And the man says, some things are true whether you believe them or not. Right? That's kind of a profound statement. Because you hear this kind of talk in the world today. I don't believe that. Just because you don't believe it. <laughs> doesn't mean it's not true. Um, I think it's important for us to come to that understanding. Truth is not contingent upon you accepting it. Truth just is. Truth is just there. My favorite definition of truth is simply this. It says the real state of things. I love the simplicity of that. And the force of that. It's the real state of things. Truth is the real state of things. Not how you may think about it or how you want to believe about it. Truth is the real state of things. Uh, one of the synonyms there under that definition was reality. And I love the definition to this word. The definition of reality is the sum of all that is real, absolute, and unchangeable. I love that. The sum of all that is real, absolute, and unchangeable. Now, you've been around long enough. You know you've heard about relativism. Um, you've heard about subjective uh, morals and subjective truths. It's the postmodern chatter of, well, there's no absolute objective truth. It's all relative, right? You've heard this kind of talk. Well, this is nonsense. I'm sorry, I have to say it. I have to break the news to you. This is nonsense. This is nonsense. Um, and I'm sure most of you have come to that conclusion. Like it or not, believe it or not, acknowledge it or not, truth is true. It's not contingent upon you believing it or accepting it Truth is true. Whether you like it or whether you don't. It's absolute. It's unchanging. It's not relative. I was thinking about it without question. We are, as modern human beings, better educated, more knowledgeable, more technologically sophisticated than any other time in history. We know a lot of stuff, don't we? I mean, you guys know a lot of stuff. And if you don't know a lot of stuff, you can just Google it, right? I Googled truth yesterday. Guess how many hits I got? 628 million. I'm guessing <laughs> that some of that 628 million is not the truth. I'm just guessing. But we have access to all this knowledge. My question to you is, has it helped mankind get any closer to truth? Our, our beautiful universities, our magnificent libraries, our our data banks, our think tanks, 
uh, the many position papers that are being published on a daily basis, all the doctoral theses that are being written, has it brought the mass of humankind any closer to truth? Well, watch the news and, and make your own decision. Watch the news. Of course, being in the church context, we're talking about capital T truth. When, I, when I'm talking about truth to you here, I'm talking about capital T truth. And I love what Ravi Zacharias says about this. You guys know him. He's a famous Indian Christian apologist. And he says this about capital T truth, about the truth about God. He says, you know, pluralistic cultures are beguiled by the cosmetically courteous idea that sincerity is all that counts and that truth is subject to the beholder. You've heard this many times, I'm sure. Well, they're very sincere about it. Well, you can be very sincere about your belief in a lie, right? <laughs> Sincerity has nothing to do with whether a fact is true or false. This is what Ravi is saying. He goes on, in no other discipline of life, he's talking about the spiritual realm, can one be so naive? All religions are not the same. All religions do not point to God. All religions do not say that all religions are the same. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not and accordingly defining life's purpose. I think that's a brilliant quote. I try to work it in at least once or twice. A year. It's one reason that the world hates Christians. You know, we don't say there's five ways to God. We don't say to Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and animists and ancestor worshipers, etc., etc., Scientologists. We don't say to Tom Cruise, you know, yeah, your way's okay too. It's why the world hates us. We say there's one way. You know why we say it? Why do we say it? Why do we say there's one way? Because it's true! The truth said it! Jesus says, I am the truth! And Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father! And so the only way we can love people is to say this. People think we're bigots. People hate Christians because we speak the truth. And there are many, as you know, many so-called Christian churches that uh, they have abandoned the Bible more or less. They read from it when it fits their agenda and they, they edit God and don't read from it. Um, you know, you got many folks sitting in judgment over the Word of God. They say, well, we like this part. We're going to keep that in. We don't like this part. It doesn't fit our agenda. And we're going we're gonna to edit that. Aren't you always amazed at the arrogance of mankind to edit the Word of God? I, I'm just always astonished at the fact that mankind has set himself up over the Word, as many have done. I love what C.S. Lewis says about those who ridicule Christians for believing the Bible and building their lives around it. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, the answer to such people who would criticize the Christian who loves the Word and tries to live by it, the answer to such people is that they cannot if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they shouldn't talk about them. I think that's a beautiful quote. 
if you're a Christian in, in the world and you're saying the truth out there, you're getting heat. I know it. I used to be in the world. I was just like you. I had a job in the world. And if you're speaking the truth, you're getting heat. You're going to get heat. You're going to get tension. You're going to get uh, pushback. It just, it's, it's what happens. You're supposed to know this is going to happen. You're supposed to expect this. You're supposed to be ready for the pushback. And what do we do when we get the pushback? We smile and we say, this is truth. And then you give a blessing, right? You give a witness, you give a blessing. This is what we're called to do as Christians. We give a witness and we give a blessing. One thing Lewis is saying here is that born-again believers are the ultimate intellectuals, right? A regenerate mind believing the truth of God in the Bible is infinitely more valuable than a 190 IQ believing a lie, right? You agree? We are the ultimate intellectuals. One of the definitions of, of intelligence, I, I looked it up, it's, it's, it, it talks about sound judgment, rationality, and discernment. It talks about uh, showing mental capacity beyond the ordinary. The born-again believer, the Spirit-taught believer who's subjecting himself or herself to the Word of God is infinitely further down the road than the 190 IQ who is unregenerate, who is unbelieving. I mean, you can have a 190 IQ and if you believe a lie, all your presuppositions are wrong. Every one of them would be wrong. So Lewis is right, the Bible is a book for grown-ups in that it forthrightly deals with the truth regarding ultimate questions of life such as these. God, does He exist? Who is He? What's He like? How can I know Him? The Bible answers questions about origins. How did we get here? Why are we here? Are we a cosmic fluke? Or was there design? The Bible answers the question about purpose. Why do we exist? Is it all about us? Or is it about the Creator? The Bible answers the questions about sin and evil. How did mankind get in this moral and existential predicament? How did we get here? The Bible addresses it. The Bible talks about salvation. How can we get out of this moral and existential predicament? The Bible speaks to guilt. Why do I feel it? Why do I feel guilty? Why am I guilty? How can I be delivered from this Guilt. Death. Why is there death? And what is after death? The Bible speaks to judgment. Is my conscience right? Am I guilty? Will I be judged? The Bible speaks to heaven and hell. Are they real? Do they exist? And what are they like? Pardon me. Turn off the heat. The Bible is a book for grown-ups. Grown-ups interested in interested in the real state of things. You know, everybody's got an opinion, don't you? You're out in the world, right? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. Do you need someone else's opinion? Uh, my favorite preacher in the States, uh, John MacArthur, I love what he said one time. He was being interviewed and some guy was asking his opinion. He said, well, what's your opinion on this subject? And MacArthur says, does the world need one more opinion? I'm not, he says, I'm not going to waste your time with my opinion. Oh, here's what God says about it. Listen, beloved, 
it's important for you when you're out in the world to begin to learn to speak like this. God says. The Bible says. The Word of God says. This should be coming off your lips on a regular basis. The Bible says. The Word of God says. God says. Who cares? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got one. We need to learn to say God says. We need to interject. That's why we're still on the planet to interject God's opinion into the conversation. So this will be our ninth message in our We Get To series. And I want to say to you, we're blessed of God. We get the truth. God has given the truth to His people. We don't, have to, we don't have to wonder what the truth is. I'm not saying that we have all knowledge. Certainly we don't. We have questions. God doesn't answer every uh, question in the Bible. Uh, that's not what He's attempting to do. It's not God's answer book. It's God's revelation of Himself. We get the truth. As the people of God, we get the truth. You may recall, as we start, I'm just going to briefly run through the things we've talked about. We get to pray. We get to sit in our Father's lap and we get to talk to God about everything that matters to us. We get to worship the Lord. God is our treasure and God is our pleasure. We get to obey Him in radical, life-altering, eternity-impacting ways. John 14.21 is true. As we obey Him, He progressively discloses Himself to us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We get to believe amazing, astonishing, jaw-dropping, unbelievable things. Not only about this life, but principally about the next. We get to suffer. It's a done deal if you're a Christian. The Bible says it. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. It's not if. It, it, it will happen. It will happen, God says. But we will overcome through the plan and power of God. We get to be holy. Holiness is not a drag. It's walking in the beauty and intimacy of God. We work out what God has worked in. A couple of weeks ago, we get to give. We are like our Father. Our Father is a giver. It's all God does. He gives and He gives and He gives. Even to rebels, He gives and He gives. And we are like that. We learn to give like that. Last week we talked about the eighth privilege. We get to love and serve the body of Christ. We we get to do this. It's a privilege. These are all privileges. Some of you don't see them as privileges. They're not in your your mind as privileges. Some of you see them, maybe some of them as burdens or things I have to do. These are my religious responsibilities. What I want to say to you is, if you feel like these things are religious responsibilities, uh, I think you've got a huge problem here. I don't think you're seeing what the Gospel is. Um, it's a relationship with the living God. How can it be a burden? Really, seriously, how can it be a burden? It's a relationship with the living God. It's being changed by God. It's knowing God. It's walking with God. It's talking and listening to God. How can this be a burden? If we truly understand what's at stake in the Gospel. So we get to use our gifts and skills in the the church We love and serve the church. We commit to the church. We bring our tithes and offerings into the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. 
He is the groom. We are the bride. We get to love and serve His people. Tonight, I want to talk about the fact that we get the truth. <laughs> Much, if not most of the rest of the world is deceived. You heard Kenneth read the text. Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. But you and I get the truth. We get the truth of God. And biblically speaking, truth is more than a concept. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. 200 times in the Bible, God talks about truth. So the Creator, Redeemer God of the Bible, He is truth. And we can know truth through Him. I, some of you will recognize the name Francis Schaeffer. He was a famous Christian apologist in the last century from um, Switzerland. He used to talk about true truth. <laughs> we get the real truth, the true truth, the unchangeable truth as the children of God as we come into His Word. I've shared this with you before. Some years ago, my mentor asked me, Jim, if you didn't have uh, the truth of God, what would you give for it? So, and he made me think about it for 24 hours. He said, I, I, don't, I don't want an immediate response. I want you to think about it for 24 hours. So I'm just going to ask you, if you didn't know the truth of, of God, if you didn't know uh, about Him as Creator, about Him as Redeemer, if you didn't know these things, if you didn't know Jesus Christ, what would you give to have that knowledge? What would you give? What would you give? Everything. Right? Everything. And what gets me, and I've seen it all my life, I'm an old guy, how people handle their Christianity on such a superficial level. They say, I'm a Christian, but it appears that it means about this much to them. And I think, how is it possible? How can, you call, how can you call yourself a Christian and it appears from your life that it means about this much? I never understood it. I've never understood that. Obviously, there's this, many have a motive to appear to be religious for one reason or another. They, appear to, they want to be associated with the body of Christ for one, one reason or another. But I was running the other day and it just it, it occurred to me, if we really believe these things are true, if He's really such an awesome God and He came down as a man and He was nailed to a tree because He loved me, how can that ever be small in my life? How can that ever be business as usual? How could I ever look like the world if I really believe that? I guess I want to challenge you tonight. Do you really believe the truth? Do you believe what God has said in His Word? Has it changed the way you live? I think that's one question that the Lord might have for us. Why isn't this church filled up every Sunday? Why don't we have to hire a guy at the door and he has to turn people away? Why doesn't that happen? Why doesn't that happen in every church in the world that's preaching the Word of God? Why doesn't that happen? Now, praise the Lord, I know that happens in some places. <laughs> it's never happened here. 
that would be a lot of fun. We'd have to put Martin at the door and say, you can't come in. We're filled up. Why doesn't it happen? You know, you always hear, well, men are stumbling in the dark. They're looking for the truth. They want the truth. They can't find the truth. Well, is that true? Is that what the Word of God says? What does the Word of God... Let me just give you a couple of verses from Scripture about how men feel about truth. Let me... You, you're going to be familiar with some of these. Ecclesiastes 8.11. The young adults should be familiar with this. The hearts of men are given fully to do evil. Ecclesiastes 9.3. The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity. Jeremiah 17.9. The, hearts of, uh, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Mark 7.20. The words of Jesus. That which proceeds out of the heart of man is evil and it defiles him. John 3.19, the words of Jesus, Men love the darkness rather than the light, and their deeds are evil. Romans 3.10 and 11, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seek for God. None who seek for God. None who really want the truth. Is what the Lord is saying to us. You guys know Romans 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who what? What do men do with the truth? What does Romans 1 tell us? Does anybody know? What do men do with the truth of God that's within them? And I'm going to read the text to you in a minute. God put it in here. It's in here. As I've often said, you may be a liar, but you're not an atheist. You know He's there. He wired you like that. It's in there. Romans chapter 1. God says man is suppressing the truth. Man is holding down the truth in his own soul, in his heart. And in his mind. When I was in seminary, I had to do a word study. You got to pick your passage. I picked Romans 1. I had to do an extensive word study on this word suppress. Um, mankind is exerting great spiritual, intellectual, emotional energy in hindering the truth, restraining the truth, repressing the truth, stifling the truth, quashing the truth, quenching the truth extinguishing the truth and annihilating the truth from his or her own heart. This is what men do. It's why this church is not full of people trying to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Men don't want the truth. They profess that they want truth. They can't find the truth. Or they're just so confused. Let me just read Romans 1 to you. And I'm going to read verses 19 to 25. You just listen. You can look at it on your own time. This is what God says about man and truth. Because that which is known about me, God says, I made it evident within them. I have made it evident to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, my invisible attributes, my eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. There's no confusion here being understood. They've, they've been seen and they've been understood through what has been made. So that men are without excuse. Verse 21, For even though they knew Me, they did not honor Me as God, nor did they give thanks to Me, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, they professed to be wise, but they became fools. They exchanged the glory of God for some idol. Verse 24, 
Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 25. And here it is. For they, mankind, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Do you know that about yourself? Can you look back into before you became a Christian and realize you were ignoring the truth. You were holding down the truth. You were suppressing the truth. You didn't want to hear the truth. You weren't interested in the truth. You had your own truth. I'm the center of the universe and I will seek to make myself happy at all costs. My happiness is paramount. Right? My happiness comes before anything else. So this passage in Romans 1, it's stunningly clear. God put the capital T truth in us. It's been evident to us. It's clearly seen in the created order. We have no excuse before God. Our foolish hearts have been darkened. We've exchanged the glory of God for idols. And we have exchanged His truth for a lie. And one thing I, can't, I still remember when I, when I first started preaching, I preached through the Gospel of John. And you, when you do a thorough study of the Gospel of John, one thing you realize is it's not that these guys don't know or understand what Jesus is saying. They know exactly what He's saying. It's not that they're confused. It's that they hate it. Jesus is just speaking truth to them. It's not that they don't understand it. It's that they do understand it. Do you get my point? It's not that mankind doesn't understand Jesus is the Christ. They do understand Jesus is the Christ. And they say, I'll have no Christ over me. I'd rather have this false God, or I'd rather have pleasure, or I'd rather have career, or I'd rather have money, or I'd rather have materialism. You name it. It's not that men don't understand, beloved. It's that they do understand. They do understand. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. So it begs the question, doesn't it? Why do you believe? Those of you in here tonight, and I never assume everybody in here is a Christian. I never assume that. You may be a cultural Christian. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who's in love with Jesus, someone who's following Christ, Someone who's attempting to be a disciple. We all fail at times in that regard. But we're, we're trying to follow the Lord. We realize why we were created and why we were redeemed. To make much of Jesus. We get it and that's who we are. That's what my life is about. That's who I'm talking to. Let me ask you, were you just smart enough to figure it out? <laughs> I can remember when I first got converted, I thought, I got it. I'm smart. I'm brilliant. I figured it out. <laughs> After studying my Bible for a few years, <laughs> no, not so much. Were you maybe just a little bit better person than the ne person next to you who left the church? Maybe you were spiritually inclined more so than the next guy. Or maybe God did a miracle in your life. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Romans 8-7. Beloved, we get the truth we get the truth, the truth we once hated. Now some of you may have been converted in your childhood. Um, and I understand that. 
You may not have processed a lot of this in your mind uh, at, at quite such a young age, and your knowledge of Scripture may have been limited. But listen to the Apostle Paul, Romans 8, 7. Because the mind is set on the flesh and is hostile toward God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, nor is it even able to do so. So, God says that your mind was set on the flesh at one time and it was hostile toward God. Your mind did not subject itself to the law of God. Let me ask you, what happened? Did you just figure it out? Or John chapter 6, was God drawing you to Himself? Was God doing a beautiful thing in your life even before you knew it? Beloved, this is beautiful stuff. <laughs> if you receive these things and own these things you will have to go home and worship tonight. Listen to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man, he doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So at one time, you were a natural man. And the Gospel was simply religion to you. It was just dogma to you. It was no different than... Uh, Islam or, or apostate Judaism or uh, uh, Hinduism or anything else. It was just God's stuff. It was just, it was, it meant nothing to you. What happened? <laughs> Why do you love Jesus now? Listen to the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2, famous passage, verses 1 through 3. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world and the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, so obviously a reference to Satan. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. God says at one point you were a child of wrath, you were dead in your sins, what happened? What happened? Why do you love Him now? If in fact you do. That's why I had Kenneth read that beautiful text, one of my favorite in the Bible. Let me read it again. 2 Corinthians 4. And even if the Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It was veiled to you at one time. I know it was to me. I was converted at 28. Verse 4, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You were blinded at one time. You know the story. What chapter is it in? I forgot. Is it John? Maybe 9. I forgot. Where He heals the blind man, right? And there's that beautiful metaphor. And the man says this beautiful thing. And if you're a Christian, you can own this for yourself. I was blind, but now I see. It's what this passage is talking about. God grants spiritual sight. This is big, beautiful, wonderful theology. So often we are so focused on the man part of the equation, which is, I'm not saying it's not important. Of course it's important. We must respond to the Gospel. But there's all, this, there's all this beautiful God stuff that God is doing, right? That so often in so many churches gets completely ignored. It's all about the man. 
if we read our Bibles, we realize it's all about God, right? And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Paul goes on. The God of this world, little g, God of this world, has blinded the minds and unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the glory of Christ, which is the image of God. Verse 6, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the One who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You know, there's this aspect here of this verse, and I've heard people complain about this. Well, the, the devil was blinding my eyes. And there's a, there's, you have to understand, you're not just a, those whose, whose eyes are blinded, they're not just simply victims of darkness, they're lovers of it. This is what is being said. So why do you love the truth now? <laughs> you're just like Paul. You were on the road to Damascus or some other road and God invaded your life and God revealed Himself to you. God granted you sight just like He did the blind man in the Gospel of John. Someone tell me what chapter that is. I'm curious now. <laughs> um, beloved, there's all this beautiful God stuff before and beyond and beneath you coming to Jesus. And what I, what, I, what I hope we can do tonight is to think deeply about what God has done to come get me. And I think one reason the Gospel is thought so cheaply about in so many places today is because we think we did it. We think we did it. Yeah, we know Jesus died on the cross, but... You know, I figured it out. God should pat me on the head. I figured it out. Beloved, there's all this beautiful truth of God drawing you and loving you and calling you. I just don't want us to ignore that truth. It's a powerful truth. If you own this truth for yourself, it'll change your life. If you just get some small sense of how much God has loved you, and how long He's loved you from eternity past. On the far side of eternity, God set His heart on His people. It's what He did. It's what He says. How can that be small in your life? How can it be small? This imagery here in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness. When did He say that? When did He say light shall shine out of darkness? When did He say let there be light? When did He say that? Genesis chapter 1, when He created the whole cosmos by the power of His Word, 400 billion galaxies from nothing. That's the kind of power God speaks into the lives of His people. That's what Paul is saying. This creative power. God speaks regeneration. I love this. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. We don't simply acknowledge the historical fact of Jesus. We see the beauty of Christ. We have fallen in love with Him. This is real Christianity. It's not an ordinance. It's not a sacrament. It's not a prayer prayed properly. It's coming into relationship with God. 
we get the truth. It's coming to love the truth. Capital T, truth. It's coming into relationship with Jesus. I love Ephesians 2. Back to Ephesians 2 real quick. Verse 4 says, You were dead, but what? Does anybody know that great verse? I had a friend who went to seminary and I, 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 I just put these two words in a frame, big frame, and I had all his friends and church members sign it, right? It's, it's Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, right? You were dead! But God. You were blind! But God. You were hostile! but God. If you think deeply about it, you won't think small about your Christianity anymore, I promise you. God has come for us, beloved, in the most beautiful and powerful and wonderful way. If you're a Christian tonight, it's by God's doing. I know the popular thing to say is it's well, you've sorted it out, you figured it out. But God saves His people. If you're a Christian tonight, it's way bigger than a prayer you prayed or some ordinance you participated in or some church you joined. God has loved you from eternity past. And He came for you in a mysterious and beautiful and divine, miraculous, supernatural way. It's the fundamental, foundational, ultimate, consummate truth of the biblical Gospel. God saves His people for the glory of His name. And we dare not touch the glory of it. And we dare not try to make it a man-centered thing. We should bow and humbly Worship this great God who has loved us this way. There's a great poverty of spirit when we, at least that's been my experience and what I have observed, there's a great poverty of spirit when we neglect to think deeply about all God did before we ever even began to think about Jesus. All the work that has gone into, into drawing me and saving me that went into it before I even began to have the first consideration of Christ. We get to know the truth. We get to know how much God's loved us. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. God wants you to know. And He wants me to know. And He wants you to never forget. And He wants me never to forget that Romans 8, 29, and 30, it's true every single day. It's been true from eternity past. It'll be true in eternity future. God says, for those who He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And here's the done deal. And these whom He predestined, He called. And these whom He called, He justified. And these whom He justified, He glorified. God says, I've done it all for you. How can... If we really believe that He's loved us like this, and He secured us at such great cost. How can we believe that this big? I, I, I don't think you actually can. I think if you really believe all this, 
You can never live it like that. You just can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's an oxymoron. God has saved us. God did it. And go, go read Romans 8 tonight. Or this week. I read a large chunk of it to you several three, three to six weeks ago. Go read it. And be in awe of your salvation and how it can never, ever be taken from you. You can never lose it. No demon, no army of demons, no one can take it from you. God has secured it. When God saves a man or a woman, <laughs> they're saved. Doesn't mean their life is perfect. Doesn't mean they don't struggle in sanctification. And I'll take just a moment to address the man's side of the equation. Of course you must repent and believe. You've heard that all your life. When did you ever hear a sermon on all that God did before you repented and believed? When was the last time you heard that sermon? When was the last time you marveled at all God had done before you came to repent and believe? You were just like the world. You hated the truth. You were hostile to it. You were blind to it. It meant nothing to you. But you were like the blind man in the Gospel of John. And then, BAM! God spoke light into your dark, cold, dead heart. I think it's awesome. Of course, you must exercise the gift of faith that God has given, Ephesians 2.8. Of course, you must employ the gift of repentance that God has given, 2 Timothy 2.25. And of course, you must embrace the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, verse 5. And I invite you to do, if you haven't done these things, if you haven't exercised your faith, if you haven't repented of your sin, if you aren't cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification, I put an open call out to everyone in this room, come and believe. Come and be changed. Come to Christ. Know your Creator. Meet your Redeemer. He is a Savior. He is a wonderful Savior. That part of the Gospel is preached all the time. I, I wanted to give God a little... You know, I want to give God some equal time here. <laughs> He's almost always ignored. God is almost always ignored in all the work He's done before you make your confession of faith. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul says you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who is at work in you. It's sovereignty of God, responsibility of man. These things are true. They're in the Bible. They're true. You say, Jim, I feel tension. Yes, every theologian and every Christian since uh, the Bible has been written feels the tension. We all feel the tension. Sovereignty, responsibility. We all feel the tension. But God says, this is how I save my people. And I, I just want to give God some equal time. I want us to stop and marvel at what God's done. Not simply talk about what we did, right? We always want to talk about what we did.
God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. God has made us alive, Ephesians 2. God has caused us to be born again, 1 Peter chapter 1. And what happens when God does this miracle in our hearts? What happens? We get the truth. <laughs> we love the truth. And what happens when we embrace the truth? What, is the, what does Jesus say in John chapter 8? You shall know the truth and what? So I'm going to ask you, are you free? Are you free? Are you free to be a radical follower and lover of Jesus in the world? Are you still bound up? Are you, are you still intimidated in the world? Are, are you free? That's how you know. You really, you, you're really in the truth. You're really part of the truth. You're really partaking of the truth. You're free. You're free. I'm not saying we don't struggle. We all do. We all have weak times. But what I want to say to you, beloved, if you have embraced the truth, you are free. So as the children of God, we know the real state of things regarding God. We not only know God exists, we know Him, and we are in love with Him. We know the real state of things regarding origins. We know God lovingly made us in His own image. We know the real state of things regarding purpose. We know human life is all about Jesus, and we love it. We know the real state of things about sin and evil. We know we unleashed evil upon the earth. I was listening to some apologists on uh, YouTube last night. And you listen to some of these guys. And these were, these were not theistic apologists. They were atheistic apologists. And you listen to these guys and you just go, how can a human being, a grown-up, mature, probably above average intellect, believe these things? How is it possible? It's just nonsense. It's just so much nonsense. It's unbelievable. They want, to lay, they want to lay evil at God's feet. Isn't that what everybody wants to do when you talk to them? The, 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 the Achilles heel of Christianity. The benevolent God. The all-loving God, all-powerful God who doesn't stop evil. Well, if we just simply read the first three chapters of the Bible, we realize that we cut evil loose in this world. God put us in paradise. You cut it loose and I cut it loose. Evil exists because we rebelled. And this world is under judgment. That's why it exists. It doesn't sit at God's feet. It sits at our feet. And what drives me crazy is the apologists never go there. The Christian apologists, they never go there. I wish they would. So what about salvation? We know that our salvation is God-wrought. It's God-secured. What about our guilt? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What about death? We will live everlastingly with our Creator, Redeemer, God, where there are pleasures forever at His right hand. What about the real state of things regarding judgment? We will not come into judgment our sin has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west through the finished work of Jesus. What about heaven and hell? Yes, we are going to heaven. We will never taste hell. The hell we deserve will never taste it. Jesus 
tasted it for us, we know the real state of things. We know the truth. We know by the sovereign love, mercy, and grace of God, we get to know the truth. And I'm just going to finish by asking you, how can you live this just a little bit? How can you believe this just a little bit? How can this not permeate every aspect of your life? God has loved me like this. God has saved me in the most remarkable way. There was an eternity past of stuff going on, God's stuff going on before. I was even a thought in my parents' mind. Beloved, some people are afraid of these big, weighty truths. I, I want to challenge you, don't be afraid of them. Deal with them. We talked a lot about uh, in Young Adult Bible Study Wednesday night. There's these questions about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and predestination, election, these kinds of things. You know, I, I discover that people get kind of tense about these things. Listen, these are the words God chose to use. I, I, these are not my words. These are the words of God, right? These are the words of God. So, it's okay to struggle. It's, it's what I want to say anytime I talk about weighty matters regarding the salvation of the soul. It's okay to struggle. It's not okay to edit. It's not okay to explain away. It's not okay to, um, you know, discard or ignore what God has clearly said in His Word. These are weighty truths. You do like I did. You go sweat for 10 years over Romans chapter 9. And then let's talk. <laughs> My point is, if you struggle with these things, that's fine. Just don't ignore them. Because when, when you begin to receive all that God says, you fall more and more and more in love with Him. And you are more and more astonished at His great love for you. It's a beautiful thing, beloved. I just wanted to give God His time tonight. We get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. God has given it to us. It's a tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous blessing. I hope that you see it that way. And I hope that you're in the Word. And I hope you're praising God for what He's done in your behalf. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this Word. Thank You that You have loved us like this. This is truly breathtaking to understand all that, or at least seek to understand all that You have done in bringing us to Yourself. We love You, Father. We love You and we thank You. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I will dismiss you with our benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. God bless. Have a great week.
you're dismissed.